Well, friends, we are in the third week of our sermon series where we're walking through 1 John, which is an early church letter that we have written most likely to a church in Ephesus. If you remember, if you can picture your Bibles, right, 1 John falls really close to the back of our scriptures, and there's a 1 John, and there's a 2 John, and there's a 3 John, and they're all really, really short books, and they all butt up right against Revelation. And so 1 John is about five chapters, and we're going to spend four or so weeks walking through, and we're on chapter, we're on week three this week, but we're actually on chapter four. We're going to circle back to chapter three next week. But kind of what I've been saying to us to make sure we understand just a little bit of the context before we read the scripture each morning is that this letter was written to a church in Ephesus just 60 or 70 years after Jesus walked the earth. So this letter is written to the very early church. The church still trying to figure out who they are and, and who they were called to be. So I think these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, give us a really interesting look into that early church so that we can see what they were trying to process, what they were struggling with, what they were discerning, and, and what obstacles they were facing. I also really like this letter, especially 1st John, because I think each week, and so far this has been true, and I think this will be true again this week, Each week we see the writer addressing a community that seems to be really wrestling with who God is, who they are called to be in response, who they're supposed to be, and how those two things, who God is and who they are supposed to be, intersect in the life of faith. And like I said, I think we'll see those things again this week. So if you would like to read along, we're going to be in 1 John, which again is going to be really close to the back of your Bibles. You're welcome to grab a few Bible if you'd like, or you can just listen. That's the old-fashioned way, right? Just listen to somebody else read it. We're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Here now, reading from the Word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his, per- his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have also seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed that the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, 
Thanks be to God. It's a long scripture reading, right? And it's probably a reading that you were familiar with a few of those lines, right? Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, right? I mean, this is a, a, a quotation that I think we get, we get hit with a lot. But when you read it in its context, you realize what a rich passage it really is. I mean, obviously the through line through all of this is love, but it says a whole lot of other stuff in the mix. I want to make sure you notice what this, what this passage doesn't say. It doesn't say that God is power. It doesn't say that God is a judge that brings order. It doesn't say that God is good. It doesn't say that God is all-knowing. It doesn't say that God is all-present. Now, I don't think that means that God isn't all of those things, right? We find that elsewhere in Scripture. But this section of Scripture is trying to get us to realize one thing and one thing only. You heard me say it over and over again as I read it. God is love. When we looked at the first chapter of this letter, the first week of the series, we read that God is light. Last week, we read that God is advocate or that Christ is our advocate. And this week, you see this early Christian community just trying to wrap their heads around. That's what this reads like to me, that they're just trying to wrap their heads around what it could possibly mean that God is love. Hear verse 8 again. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. More than anything else, it seems, God is love. I'm going to level with you here for just a moment. Sometimes uh, us preachers, we put this weird pressure on ourselves that when we read a text and we prepare to preach it on Sunday mornings, we feel like we have to come up with a fresh take with a new perspective to give you to read the scripture through and that it'll change your life and change your week and allow you to grow in your faith, all because we come up with some clever way of putting what the scripture has been saying for thousands of years. Try to give you a new insight, a new way to understand the story, right? To notice something that you've never noticed before. And when I preach passages like this, it is always very humbling for me because I realize what I realized this week I don't think this text needs a fresh take. I don't think this text needs me to stand up here and tell you something that you don't already know. When we read that passage together, we already know what the text is trying to teach us. Most of us have even been taught that lesson before, probably several, several times. I think more than anything else, we as a people of faith this morning, we just need to hear that lesson again. Hear it with fresh ears. But the teaching is the same as it has always been. More than anything else, God is love. Which means that everything that God does, God does from a place of love. When God creates, God does it out of love. When God rules over us, God does it out of out of love. God can't help it, it seems, right? God is love more than anything else that God is. God is love. It's what all of the agency of God flows from, a place of love. The best way for us to see this is to look at what God has done, which the text tries to tell us. Here, verse 9 again. God's love was revealed to among us, among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning 
sacrifice for our sins. When God comes down to earth, when God walks among us in that person of Jesus Christ, God does it out of love. That's the foundation for that action of God, that agency that we see. Love. More than anything else, God is love. Oh, that's great, right? You've heard that before, haven't you? That God is love. We read it elsewhere in our scriptures, that God is love. That everything that God does in this world, God does out of a place of love. When we start to question that problem of evil, right? The loophole that we as United Methodists use to say, well, 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 we always have to say that everything that God does is good. And everything that God does, he does out of a place of love. The question for us is, is what about us? We get that, right? God is love. But what does that mean for that second question that this early church seems to be asking? Not only who is God, but who are we called to be in response to who God is? If God is love, then what should that make us? And again, friends, the answer is exactly what you have heard before, but I want you to hear it again this morning. Our response is to be a people of love. Yeah, you know the answer. God is love. And our response to that should be to be a people of love. But notice, right? Notice the scripture. It doesn't focus on that response from us being a people who love God in response to God's love for us, but rather a people who love others in response to God's love for us. Hear the first verse that we read again this morning. Hear verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever loves does not know God because God is love. You know this, but I just just want you to be reminded of it this morning. Our response to God being love is to love one another. Again, notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say, beloved, let us love God because love is from God. And I don't think that means that we're not supposed to love God, right? But I think it may mean that first and foremost, our response to God's love should be us loving one another. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Our primary response, our primary focus, what others should know us by as a people of faith, as a church, as a people who are seeking to be followers of Jesus, is by the way we love others, first and foremost, not just the way that we love God. As a matter of fact, I think the scripture makes it really clear to us that this way of living is essential if we want to be a people who are following Jesus. Here, verse 20 again. Those who say, I love God, but hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Do you hear what that's saying? The only way that we can really love a God who we cannot see is to love those who we can see our brothers and our sisters. I have no doubt that you already know this. 
But if you're like me, you can never hear it enough. The best way for us to love a God who we cannot see is to love the people that we can see. The way that we can find love, the way that we can be a part of the love of God, the way that we can best discover who God is and where God is in our life, no matter what it is we're facing, is to simply love one another. To pour out that love that we receive from God into the people who are around us. And more than likely, people who desperately need us, if they're anything like, like us. Beloved, let us love one another because God is love. That means being willing to love people when it's easy and when it's hard, right? That means being willing to love your brother or sister when they love you back and when they don't love you back. Being willing to love others when you want to love others and when you don't want to love others. We hit another threshold here, right, in the teaching, don't we? All that sounds great, doesn't it? Is everybody on board with that? Yes, let's be a people who are living out the love that we receive from God by loving those who are around us. The question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we get this started? How do we start pushing this ball down the hill? How do we build up that momentum so that we can be a people who are living out of this love? How do we live this life of love? How can we love our neighbor in such a way that through their relationship with us, they will discover that love that we know that comes from God? Well, the truth is that there are a lot of ways to do that, right? And I'm sure that it'll look a little bit differently for each one of you if you seek to live this out this week. But I'll just, I'll tell you a story about how it's happened with me and, and with my life. I remembered one time this week, not this week, it was long ago, but I remembered it this week. I was, having a, I was having a crazy day, right? One of those days where you're driving all around town and you hit like two o'clock and you just slump hard, really hard. You kind of didn't eat a great lunch, you know, because you're out and about, so you eat something that, you know, it just the sugar crash, it wasn't great. So I was crashing and I decided that I was going to run by Starbucks. This is when we lived in Dallas and Madison was working at this pretty crazy French international school. And for some reason, the only thing that those parents would give Madison for Christmas and for teacher appreciation was Starbucks gift cards. So we were flush with Starbucks gift cards. Flush. We each had like hundreds of dollars of Starbucks gift cards sitting in our center console. So I decided I needed to go buy Starbucks. So I get to Starbucks, I wait in line, I order my Americano and a little muffin because when you have a gift card, you got to get the muffin, right? I mean, you don't have a choice. You have to. You have to. And I get up to the window, and the person working the drive through tells me that the car in front of me paid for my coffee and paid for my muffin, right? It's really sweet, isn't it? And I was, I mean, I was pretty surprised. I asked her if they knew me, which I realized sounded really conceited after I said it, right? Like everybody, I didn't mean it like that. But she laughed and said she didn't think so. And then she closed the window and went to go get my stuff. And so I sat there and thought about what I should do. Should I use this gift card money to pay for the car behind me? Or, or should I just say yes? Just accept the, the kindness, right? And go about my day. I decided that I was going to use the gift card money to pay for the car behind me. And if I'm being honest, it's because I looked in the mirror and there's only one person back there. So I figured that it was probably, it was probably a small order, right? If it had been a whole family, I don't know if I would, I'm just being honest with y'all. It was just one person. And so she opened the window back up, gave me my coffee and my muffin. And I said, hey, I'd, I'd love to pay for the, for the order behind me. And she just smiled and took my gift card and she said, you're number 15. And I was like, what are you talking about? 
And she said, you're the 15th person to pay for the, for the order behind you. How cool is that? Now, I don't know how long it went after me, right? The car behind me may have just said, sweet, that's what I needed today is a free cup of coffee, and, and then it's over. But what I realized is this, and maybe, maybe this is the practical piece that you can take with you this morning. In that type of situation, right? In that type of situation, I think there are three different types of people. There's the person that started it. There's the person that paid double, right? They paid for their order and they paid for the order behind them. There's the person like me that really just gets to jump on the train, right? I just get to say yes to this act of kindness that's already happened, this this display of love. And then there's the person that ends it. There's the person that says, no, I'm good. I'll just, I think I'll just accept it and I'll, I'll go about my day. And my challenge for you this week is, is whatever way it looks like for you in your life is to find a way to be the first person. Find a way to be the first person. And look, friends, we may do this great act of kindness and this great display of love, and it may end right there. That's out of our control. But find a way to start something. An act of kindness, a way that you can show love to someone when they're not expecting it. And when you find yourself in the middle like I did, be willing to keep it going. Three types of people, right? We know this. The people that start it, the people that keep it going, and the people that end it. Friends, what if people knew us as a people of faith as those first two categories, and primarily the people that were willing to start it? Man, I think that would change the way people look at the church. I think that would change the way people look at followers of Jesus. What if we lived our life in a way where we were pouring out the love that we received from God? What if? I wonder what would happen. Because we worship a God who is first and foremost love. And this text... This text makes sure that we cannot miss the point that the best and maybe the only way to respond to that love is to love our brothers and sisters. It's to love those folks who are around us. Friends, my hope for us is that we will be a people who will start it and a people who will keep it going. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.